This episode of the Marketing Chief Podcast was recorded a little while ago, but we are releasing it today because it's the start of the 40th anniversary of the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. And today we're talking to the president of Just for Laughs, Bruce Hills. We're honored to have Bruce with us today talking about all things comedy. Stay tuned for this edition of the Marketing Chief Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Chief Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Collins. If you'd like to watch this podcast and not just listen to it, head over to our website at marketingchiefpodcast.com and click on the Episodes tab or search for Marketing Chief Podcast on YouTube. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome a friend, a colleague, the head and president of Just for Laughs. GQ said he was not the most sexiest man in America or in the, in the world, or Canada. But, but, or Canada, but they did say he was the most powerful man in international comedy. In fact, the Globe and Mail said he was the king of comedy. He's one of Variety's 50 individuals who've impacted comedy. Please welcome Bruce Hills to the podcast. Bruce, welcome. Good to see you, sir. It is good to see you. So, so tell us, Just for Laughs, one of the iconic brands in comedy, you guys are in all types of festivals and TV and digital and many things I'm probably not even aware of across the globe. Tell us about Just for Laughs and why you're so funny. <laughs> well, listen, um, the festival uh, business, our business emanated and still sort of uh, the heart and soul is our festival in Montreal, Just for mm -hmm. Laughs Montreal. We're Having, we're going to uh, celebrate our 40th anniversary this summer in July. July, right? So yeah. anyone, anyone anywhere, please come visit us and, and, and let us celebrate with you. And please celebrate with us. Uh, but what we've done over a while, including the festival we did for a number of years with your former employer, TBS in Chicago, is create unique festivals around the world uh, to grow the brand, to produce more comedy and every corner of the world where we feel there's an opportunity. Currently, we have three festivals in Canada, the Montreal okay. event, as I mentioned, Toronto and Vancouver. Okay. Uh, we also have a festival at, in Sydney, JFL Sydney, at the Sydney Opera House. That's been going nice. on for a decade. And we've recently, I'll put my t-shirt up here, partnered with the lovely people at Moon Tower in Austin, Texas, Okay. They are also going into their 10th anniversary uh, this April, and we have partnered with them um, to expand what that festival is in Austin and, you know, help them make them even better than they are today. And it was already an awesome event, so we're just going to make it a little bit more awesome hand-in-hand uh, -hand with them. And just a couple of weeks ago, we announced that we are going to England and partnering with AEG uh, to produce a comedy festival at the O2 the arena complex oh, yeah. in uh, London, England, and that's going to happen in March 2023. So we're going to be really, really busy over the next little while. Well, you, you've always been busy. I mean, the, the festivals that I've been to, I, I was at the Montreal Festival one year, and of course we did the Chicago Festival. I mean, you pack so many shows into so many venues in a short time period. How many, how many shows do you typically do in a festival or... You know, how many tickets do you sell across across the globe in a year? Well, listen, that's a good question. I mean, the Montreal event is really, it's officially over 10 to 11 days, depending. But we really run for 30 days. So, we, you know, we can sell up to three, 400,000 
tickets. Um, we also have over a million people on the street. Um, you know, you know, uh, one year when we had perfect weather and, and the, you know, and no rainouts, uh, we had over two million um, people celebrating with us in Montreal and and checking out shows, free shows on the street, paid shows indoors, uh, so that you know we we could have up to thirty five venues on any given night. We don't have another festival, nor do we really think we need to add a festival of that of that scale. Sure. What's most importantly is creating an event that's built to spec. You know, how can we create a comedy festival in a city that people feel is theirs, that feels mm -hmm. unique, does not feel like it's a save as? I mean, I think, Rob, we were successful in um, Chicago uh, after a couple of years as we sort of mm -hmm. learned that we really needed to make sure Chicago didn't feel we never, never, never started with a, a vision to say, hey, we're just going to copy Montreal. But right. once we really got to know the city and realize our festival had to have a, a clear identity, you build it from that perspective. You know, sure. we've learned it's really hard to please everyone. So you better be clear on what the proposition is. You better be relatively clear on what the demographic is, because some, you know, I, I I'll give you a good example. It was actually with the work I did with you guys in in, in Chicago. Um, the first year I saw the poster, the billboard driving down the highway, I went, hmm. I won't even mention the artist, but there were five very different artists, mm -hmm. and what hit me was there's no one audience for this. And I don't know if someone looks at that billboard, are they going to be interested in our comedy festival? Because it just, it didn't have a unifying point of view. Okay. So from that point forward, we really focused Chicago on a clearer proposition. And quite honestly, it was, hey, let's entice young, smart comedy fans, cool, you know, connoisseurs of comedy or comedy nerds and, and beyond. But we don't want to please everyone. Let's try mm -hmm. to find a focus. And uh, we started to book accordingly. Even though there were all kinds of amazing artists we had in the first couple of years, we decided sometimes, you know, the, the blue collar proposition, which was fantastic, and we had lots of success in touring the blue collar. It didn't really fit the point of view of Chicago in the last mm -hmm. three, you know, in the last three or four years of that event. Um, we went a different route. Um, so fans would look at a billboard and say, oh, I want to go to that event, not, oh, I recognize one person or I, oh, I, I you know, because everyone, you know, a, a, an audience would see a billboard where they would see numerous faces they wanted to see. So all of a sudden they checked into the event because it connected with them. And we learned a lot from that. It sounds like a really simple thing, you know, but sometimes you just have to, you know, have that moment where you look up at something and go, oh, that's not right, you know. We are just, you can't please everyone. Let's please the people that want to buy comedy tickets. And and most importantly, Rob, try to get, and this is what we do in our Toronto event, where, where which is a past-driven event, okay. is that what we want is as, we want someone to, to populate as many shows as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Once you convert a fan, why, you know, why not get them to do four shows? Find a proposition that gets them to show up four times versus once and out. Because, you know, you already know, you know, you're a marketer. You know, you get through to getting them to press buy. Well, sure. how about, how, how are we getting them to push a button to buy three more tickets? 
and, and how can we make that attractive to them? Well, the first thing is you've got to offer them something they want to see. And then, of course, you know, the more they see, the more you, you probably want to make it more affordable for them, more attractive on a price point. But you definitely got to show them something that has more than one show they want to see. So we started to really focus in on that. I'd say Montreal is probably the only event where we try to please everyone and we're pretty successful because it's such a massive event. Right. Um, and it's been around for so long. We get such a huge amount of tourism. Uh, but everywhere else, every event has a point of view and a clarity of what it is. Well, and, and a very, that, sorry, a very specific point of view. Yeah. Right. A very specific point of view, which which just really talks about how the product and the brand need to work together to attract an audience. And you've done a great job of kind of the newcomers and, you know, giving sure. even college kids, you know, in a, a stage and a platform. Talk, talk a little bit about how you bring in new talent and how you expose them to audiences and audiences to them. Well, listen, that's a, that's a good question. And, and, and look, the thing that broke our Montreal event was discovering talent and, mm -hmm. and Rob largely why it became such a big um, event angel annually for Hollywood executives and, and entertainment and comedy executives around the world, but primarily Hollywood, to come and find the next big star. So, you know, in the late 80s, you know, Craig Ferguson, Rowan Atkinson, mm -hmm. uh, Lenny Clark that ended up selling his show, Lenny off the back of uh, an appearance at JFL, Tim Allen basically presenting... Uh, you know, home improvement on a stage for all intents and purposes. His point of view that led to obviously one of the biggest sitcoms of of, of that decade. Sure. Uh, you know, and then Chappelle at nineteen, and Kevin Hart at nineteen, et cetera, et cetera, wow. et cetera. I mean, half the cast of SNL. Um, you know, uh, over the years, actually, just recently, our new faces program, which I'll speak to in a second. Um, you know, when the new cast for SNL was announced, there were three new members this summer. All three came out of our new faces program. One Amazing. as re recently as two months ago. So, uh, you know, it's so important for us, not only for our fans to see young and great new talent, but to feed um, that talent to people that can give them opportunities to help them launch their careers. Listen, sometimes the exposure at JFL uh, leads to five club bookings when you're an up and coming comic. And that could be the difference of paying your mortgage. It could mm -hmm. also be the event where Steve Harvey walked on an unknown and walked away with a sitcom in 24 hours, you know, well, are you, uh, on, so, on a JFL yeah. stage. Yeah. Wow. So I actually found, uh, I saw Steve Harvey in a club in Dallas, Texas and booked him four months later. And, he got a deal on a napkin in a bar right after his show. <laughs> and uh, and that deal changed his career. I mean, just recently he posted something. He uh, he posted something on, I think he was, he was filming one of his talk shows or something. And he, he talked to the audience about that experience and posted it. <laughs> so I, uh, and I, uh, you know, not that I'd forgotten, but it refreshed my memory. I said, oh my God, that's true. And that was so, it was 1992. So it was a long time ago. Yeah, but that's a big part of what we do, and and for the people that are watching, listening to us today, tonight, um, should go on if you have Amazon Prime and go on and find something called 
uh, Inside Jokes. That's a doc series that we produced with a company out of, out of L.A. And, um, and it basically follows the path of young comedians wanting to make it just for last and to get into our new faces program. This is where we put most of the up and coming comics and it's, it follows comics from all over the United States, primarily out of LA and New York as they try to get booked for Montreal. And, um, and I think it will give you, and if you're interested, if you, you know, is uh, give you a really interesting perspective on the impact that that program can have it. And when you think about it, Rob, it's kind of crazy that an American comic living in LA has a career break in a French Canadian town in Montreal <laughs> when they're in a comedy club, possibly a five minute drive from the person that discovers them in Montreal. <laughs> you know? But uh, we don't want to change anything. We're happy they both get on a plane and it happens in Montreal. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's a very important part of our model because if you're there early in someone's career um, mm-hmm. and you're good to them and you offer them an opportunity, most of the time, uh, if you know how to grow with them, they'll stay with you. You know, I listen, remember. Kevin Hart sure. was a new face. Um, I think, you know, it was a couple of months after being basically, you know, an up-and-coming comic. He was a a year earlier, it was a shoe salesman in Philadelphia, came and performed on New Faces, got a massive amount of attention. A couple of years later, he worked on one of our galas, our galas, where we, you know, we tape stand-ups doing, uh, performing in front of 3,000 fans with celebrity mm-hmm. hosts. That's a big part of our program. Five years later, he's becoming a star. He's doing arenas in certain parts of the States, but he says he still wants to come to JFL. Um, even though he can't sell an arena out at that point, he says, you know, I'll do an underplay. I'll play the thousand seat club. So we do two shows there. You know, uh, we could virtually, it was hard for us to fit the production of that tour into that venue. Uh, but Kevin was willing to do it because he felt some loyalty, you know, a great deal of loyalty to us and wanted everyone to see that hour, even though he was probably getting a way better paycheck in most other places in North America. Um, and then, you know, from that, you know, he was became a huge star. He played the arena. And then when he launched his own, you know, production company and a platform called LOL, he called me and said he wanted to partner on content. And we partnered uh, and I partnered with Kevin for many, many years. And I, I'm sure we will again. Um, and the reason was, hey, I want to make content at the number one comedy fest in the world too. You know, I love you guys and I want to work with you. Uh, well, that's a great working relationship because obviously Kevin doesn't need us anymore, <laughs> but the fact that he feels compelled to do things with us and be at Just for Last, and I would be very surprised if he's not back this July, um, it's because of the rewarding relationship that we've had, um, you know, and that's what we aspire to do with every comedian. And, and listen, we miss Rob. It's not like we don't, we, we, we see every star on the rise. We, you know, we miss people. Sure. You know, uh, you know, not everything works as magically as as Kevin Hart, but when it does, it's awesome. You know, and and you've established that brand over over forty years. I mean, Montreal is the is the pinnacle. It's it's where everybody wants to to be seen. How did how did the company get started? How did how did Just for Laughs begin? Well, our original owner started the company in nineteen eighty three as a French comedy festival. Okay, and 
in year three, uh, Canadian TV network CBC said, hey, we're buying your rights in French. Would you do this in English? And he brought on some people over the first couple of years, including Andy Nauman, a gentleman that you might have met, sure, uh, who was working with me at the time when we did Chicago. And he got the job to run Just for Laughs. And luckily for me, we hit it off. And, you know, within a couple of years from that, he wanted me to go around the world looking for comedians because he got bored of being in comedy clubs. And I said, hey, <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it, yeah. So... Yeah, from like 1988 to early 2000s, I was scouting all over the world. That's, you know, where I was able to build these relationships early with comics. Those relationships still this day, still hugely rewarding for me personally on the event. Um, and then around, I think in 2000, I got the job of COO uh, when, when actually Andy left and they handed the baton to me. And I've been running things ever since. Um, and, uh, you know, and we're uh, still uh, rocking and rolling. Uh, you know, we've had an interesting two years, Rob, like everyone. Sure. We've been able to continue to make a lot of great content. We had a hybrid event last summer in uh, Montreal and are planning hopefully a full 100% capacity. Americans allowed in without quarantine. All that stuff waved out and have the event this summer uh, like it always is. Hopefully, yes, in, in a safe and great en environment for everyone. Yes, please, please wave us in. And and well, Montreal Festival is is really unique in in that when I was there, all of the all of the the street performers, and there were, there was just so sure. much activity going on and around. It wasn't just what was in the clubs and and the and the uh, and the venues. So uh, what what a what yeah. A well, great that's a, that's a big part of it is try to mm -hmm. create that atmosphere. So you walk out of a hotel or a restaurant, you bump into a free show, you see a, you know, a screen that tells you there's a show on at 10 o'clock you want to see, you go buy a ticket. So, you know, you get a little bit of free shows on the street, but you also buy a ticket and then you turn around and, uh, and there's a late night uh, show that you want to go to and hang out with your friends. Um, you know, just try to create as, you know, fulsome an experience in the comedy space as possible anytime you show up in our neighborhood. Yeah, and then because of your relationships and because of your longevity, now you also do uh, or have been for a while industry awards and you're able to bring in top talent for industry awards. How, how did that come about? Well, you know what, it was interesting. Uh, one of, um, there was a, a strong perspective out there that uh, a lot of comedians said, uh, to us and, and even our, our past owner that, um, you know, people really appreciate awards and people show up for awards. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know. Does someone need another comedy? So does someone, do we really need another, um, you know, another award show? But let me tell you, it was interesting, Rob, when we started to award people, started to put this award show together and reach out to people to tell them that, you know, the committee voted on them for this award, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm the incredible array of people that were honored and, and, and willing to show up, you know, Jim Carrey, Amy Poehler, uh, uh, Gary Shandling, you name it. Um, you know, all these people, you know, we you know, might have chased them to do something else or to host something or to perform in a major venue. And they said, no, but we say, Hey, how about come up and, you know, we'd love to give you comedy person of the year and boom, you know, they're in Montreal accepting the award. And we realized that comedy, you know, 
very, very, you know, no big surprise, but uh, took us a, us a while to figure it out. No one gives comedians awards. Comedy films don't get any respect in any award show. <laughs> you know, maybe some People's Choice Awards, but not an Academy Award. Mm. You know, they don't win awards. You know, even in the Golden Globes, uh, the drama is going to win it. The dra dramatic actor, actress is going to win the acting award. Not Jim Carrey, unless he does a dramatic role. Right. So, so that's been a great program for us. Uh, last summer, we uh, we did a a, 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 a virtual version of the award show and and gave awards to Ted Lasso, to Chappelle, oh, yeah. to Bowen yeah. Yang from SNL, to Hacks. Uh, you know, it was uh, uh, star-studded and very, very successful for us. So we just can't wait to do it live in person this summer. Yeah, and the, the one that I went to years and years ago was, uh, I think it was the award for, for Gary Shandling. And I was amazed at his peers that were there to yeah. a roast him and b celebrate with him and uh what a, it was a, a you know a memorable event for me because i don't do it every year like like you do um but, yeah but but very fun how how different was has been uh what you've had to adjust and market differently in a digital world or an online world when you know with COVID. How have you guys had to uh, had to adapt? To well, it? look, we have three core pieces, you know, sort of, you know, pieces of business. We have festivals, mm -hmm. we have touring, and we have media. A lot of our media is generated from festivals, mm -hmm. uh, but um, not all of it. So what we had to do, you know, when I think we're all to some degree panicked, you know, March two years ago, mm -hmm. uh, we started to say, okay, well let's think about worst case scenario, which unfortunately was way, I think our worst case scenario uh, uh, wasn't even the worst wasn't case even. scenario we faced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, but right. We, we started to say, okay, so there's no in-person. That hurts festivals to a degree. Mm -hmm. That hurts our concert business, no question, no denying it. Although we do touring, not just in North America, elsewhere. So there's their ability to do some things where certain parts of the world are in a better place than others, mm -hmm. but not much. Um, and we have media. Well, first and foremost, what do we have in media? We have a online presence that is mon that we monetize, which is not insignif insignificant. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can do that better, Rob. Maybe we can make more money to help pay the bills with that we can't pay with the things we can't do. Right. Um, we have pretty significant media commitments from Canadian broadcasters and American broadcasters and some international broadcasters. Can we re rethink what the deliverables are? So let's say they bought a show in Montreal with celebrity hosts, multi, you know, a bill of, of a, a variety of comics on a bill. Um, well, we can't do that because I can't get those American or famous Canadians in. Uh, I can't even get the famous Canadians in with, unless they're willing to do 14 days quarantine. Mm -hmm. So let's think about moving our show from Montreal to Toronto, shooting some stand-ups in a venue with Canadian stars, and just rethink what we're delivering. We also mm -hmm. went out and got the format for... Uh, Roast Battle, and we, we, we produced two seasons of Roast Battle Canada, where we could put a cast together, test that cast to make sure they were safe once they, so when, so when they, 
um, got on set. No one was going to, we weren't going to close our set down because someone got through with a positive, uh, you know, that was positive with COVID. Uh, we had to rethink everything, you know, mm -hmm. the complex COVID safety measures we had to put in place were complex and costly, but the broadcasters came with us. It was a really interesting challenge. Um, and it was nail biting because, uh, you know, we would be ready to go and boom, the province that we were going to, let's say in the case of Ontario, went from code orange to code red or whatever, what code, but, but now we can't do X, Y, Z. So we have to adjust our production uh, approach, but we never were closed down. We got, we figured out a way to adjust to whatever the measures were. We made great shows. We got our shows renewed. They were very different from what we made a year before. Uh, and we're just hoping this year we can go back to making the things without any, um, without any hindrances. We, we, we shoot a big show for CW every summer in Montreal. Um, you know, and, you know, we took it and we shot it in L.A. Howie yeah. Mandel is a part owner and our host. So, you know, this time, instead of getting on a, a jet and flying to Montreal, he got in a car and drove to <laughs> downtown L.A. So we yeah. would do whatever it took to make a show our partners were happy with, our broadcasters were happy with, that we felt was on brand, um, but had to be modified. So, you know, yeah. we had to talk people into looking at things a little differently. And most of them came to the party very open mind. I mean, I think everyone's a little fed up now. They want the thing they bought originally. But uh, right. for two years, you know, uh, we rethought and reimagined everything we made. And again, focused on our monetization online, also our audio monetization. We have a significant catalog that also can be monetized on SiriusXM and, you know, Spotify and all other, you know, platforms. But, but I'll tell you one thing, Rob, one thing that did help us through the pandemic was we realized that we should be doing a lot more online from our event. We were a little worried and, and maybe naively that um, we would cannibalize, you know, um, certain shows by offering them, you know, to pass holders online, sometimes for free. A lot of our shows were for free. Um, and what we realized is that was not the case that, you know, fans want to see comedy in yes. person if they can absolutely absolutely and, and if and if someone just can't make it and you can offer them a chance to see a great thing like our award show rob like we're mm -hmm. going to try to do that online from now on um well why not increase our audience by a million right, <laughs> set right. of eyeballs you know what are we crazy you know we only have 400 seats it sells out uh you know it you know we should absolutely make um a lot more of our content available to fans and to industry, um, you know, from the festival. So we'll do a lot more of that in Montreal and, and elsewhere in the world. And what what shows or or comedians now do you see as kind of the the most popular or you know that, that sell the most tickets or that are most in demand? Well, look, uh, you know, the uh, just the, the business is just you know skyrocketed. I mean. Think about it, Rob, when we were doing Chicago, we probably could have put, I don't know how many comics in the United Center, but not not a hundred. Mm -hmm. But there's probably a hundred comedians that can sell out the United Center today. You know, and maybe I'm overdoing it, but uh, but it's a big number. And it's sure. a lo much larger number than when we did Chicago, uh, you know, six, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. 
uh, I think. Um, uh, it's just they're so the, the just the the Netflix online mm-hmm. have just uh, uh, helped send the business into a whole different place. Uh, you know, it's a huge business. I mean, who are the biggest names? I mean, Kevin Hart does a massive touring business, not mm-hmm. only in North America but rest of the world. Chappelle does. I mean, Sebastian Maniscalco can sell out multiple arenas in most North American cities. You know, uh, this guy sells real tickets. Um, you know, you turn around. I mean, there's someone that's, uh, you know, one minute ago was in New Faces. You know, in the old days, you'd be, you'd have a five-year, 10-year path to a, you know, to an arena. Yeah, you know, a year and a half later, they're, they're in the arena he or she is in an arena. So there are so many people out there that can do big business. Um, and uh, that could be from a YouTube show. It could be from a sitcom. The old, it, Often it's not from a sitcom. It could from, mm-hmm. you know, Ali Wong from one spectacular Netflix special. I mean, she's mm-hmm. three in now, but from one Netflix special, she became a massive touring act yeah. because she was funny because she was mm-hmm. original because she wasn't like the others. Um, She found an audience. She spoke to an audience and she was funny. You know, uh, people want them, people want to see the, their stars live. So the touring business is, is, is huge. It's huge around the world. Uh, The world's got smaller. Someone that, you know, in the old days could sell tickets in America and a little bit in Canada and that's it can sell in every English speaking country. Some stars now like Chappelle and others are doing Paris. Like Dave just did six shows in Paris. I assume all sold out in a major venue because one, the French, uh, sophisticated French comedy fans are bilingual. They speak Mm -hmm. English. Uh, they watch French comedians for sure on Netflix, but they watch, they want to watch the best of the best. So they will go out and see an American comic, um, because it's original and interesting and it's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they, they want, they want to see the best. So that, you know, a Chappelle, like Kevin Hart can perform all over the world in countries, you know, and, you know, many, many countries that aren't English speaking one that have expats, but also, you know, more and more comedy fans are in countries you'd never imagine. One thing I read about you was you had, had been responsible for producing I think it was 1500 television productions, television shows. What, what brands does that fall under? And, and, and where do people, how can people outside of going live to a festival, how can they digest some of your, your digital and online content? Where can, where can they go to get that? Well, look, if, if um, you're in Canada, well, you'll, you'll, you can see us all the time. We're on cable every day. We're on CBC. We're on bell. We're on the, crave network sorry the the crave platform which is a you know like a you know canadian version of netflix um it's uh, run uh, and owned by bell so we're all over the place and in the states you know currently we have specials on cw but also our online presence presence is significant on youtube Mm -hmm. i would say the best place to go would be just google us on youtube and you'll get all kinds of different channels everything from our stand-up rob to our candid camera gags format yeah Hilarious, that's yeah. uh yeah that's i think 10 now it must be 12 billion views in 
so that's our wow. biggest wow. Uh, success online. But stand-up's growing in leaps and bounds. You know, we post on Instagram. We, uh, uh, we're on Facebook. We're all over Sirius XM USA uh, on, you know, most of the networks. And then we have our own channel, JFL Canada, where we don't play our own content. Uh, it's a focus on Canadian talent. Yeah, I was listening uh, earlier today on Sirius XM, Channel 168, listening yes. to some of the programming, and I was uh, watching Bill Burr on your YouTube channel. Uh, he, sure. He's, he's so hilarious. He, he was at... Well, he's another guy said. selling out uh, multiple arenas all over yeah. all over the world. You know, he can sell out the Albert Hall in London, Sydney Opera House, and Madison Square Gardens. He's got a huge life business. Yeah. So and still you, uh, a, a great friend of JFL performs. He's going to be back July 30th. We have Bill performing in the arena in Montreal on my birthday. And believe it or not, Rob, this old dude is going to be 60 July 30th. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Happy birthday. <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> yeah, but, I uh, hopefully I will. So uh, uh, if somebody wanted tickets to the festival, they go to hahaha.com or somewhere Yeah, everything, everything JFL is at hahaha.com. Look, we're, we're running up on time. I just want to ask you one more thing, which is, you know, you started, uh, I believe, as a driver, right, for JFL mm -hmm. and have, have yeah. progressed throughout throughout the years. What would what kind of advice would you give to somebody, you know, early in their career um, about about sticking with it or about the you know seizing the opportunities? Well, look, I you know I speak to um, high school students, college students all the time, and and I say, don't be precious, you know, mm -hmm. uh, hustle it, uh, uh, get in the door, be great, be the easiest person that anyone's dealing with. Even mm -hmm. if what you're doing is below what you believe your skill set is, 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 you know, ready for, you just got to get in, you got to get in the door, you got to excel, you got to, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to give 110%. And, um, you know, sometimes I say to a lot of students, too, I said, hey, if you've got a roof over your head, don't worry about the money. Yeah, it's a long game. You know, that's right. If someone's right. not letting you in, offer your services for free. Mm -hmm. uh, look, the driver was uh, I wanted to be in show business. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the skills to do anything else. So mm -hmm. I drove. But guess who you drive? You drive stars and industry, uh, you know, members of the industry. Who did sure. I drive my first summer? Barry Sands, the producer of David Letterman. Guess what Barry said to me after spending two long drives to the airport with me? Here's my phone number. If ever you need anything, you call me. Wow. wow. Guess what? I called him. You yeah. know, he brought me on a tour of David Letterman. He introduced me to everyone. He said, I'm there if you need a summer job. All I did was drive him. How did I get in the door? I took a driving job. I didn't say, I, oh, I don't do that. I only want to work in the PR department or I only want to sure. book things. Um, I, and again, uh, I just got in the door and then I realized, oh, that's how you build a Rolodex. Just yes. do a good job with whatever it is. Listen, if you're, you know, whatever yeah. you're doing, uh, you know, you don't want to overplay. I mean, I never, I didn't work anyone. I just yeah. helped them. Right. I never told them what I wanted to do. I never said, hey, could you help me down the road? I just tried to be good at my job and be helpful. And, you know, and most of the people 
handed me their card. I didn't ask for it. Yeah, those opportunities come, right? Yeah. Don't be complicated. Really do. Don't be a pain in the ass. Right. Do the job well. It's a long game. Mm -hmm. It's a negligible uh, uh, investment for success long term. Bruce, thank you so much. I, I've enjoyed hey. this. It's uh, been great seeing you again. And thanks for Good being on the Marketing you. Chief podcast. It's uh, love, love talking comedy, love talking uh, show production, talent. Uh, very honored that you would take the time to, to join us today. So thank you. Listen, my absolute pleasure. You take care of my friend. If you like what you hear on the Marketing Chief podcast, be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app or YouTube and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time on the Marketing Chief podcast.